Welcome to 239 Uncensored. Everything Southwest Florida and beyond with your host, Tim Jurad. This podcast covers it all. Real talk on issues from real estate to real crime. Join the discussion on hot topics to politics. Don't get left behind. Be in the know about everything Southwest Florida and beyond. This episode of the 239 Uncensored Podcast is proudly sponsored by Florida Pro Realty. If you are buying, selling, renting, or in need of property management, please give us a call or visit our website at www.floridaprorealty.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 239 Uncensored, everything Southwest Florida and beyond. And I want to let you know that we have a great podcast. This is going to be a, a very neat episode. Interesting. And, and it's going to bring us a lot of awareness. We have Alina Donahue in the studio. Hi. Alina, welcome. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And what do you think about the studio? I always like to ask people because it's kind of cool. It is super cool. It's something like that you would see on TV. I love it. Yeah. We have a good time in here and people kind of get like a, a little bit of a vibe. And we have Alina here because Alina is a human trafficking survivor yes. and this occurred pretty much in the 239 in Collier County, yep. Naples, Florida. She's going to tell her story and I think this is going to be a great, informative, inspirational story and you know Alina let's go ahead and just you know get right to it. Yep. Tell us a little bit about you know your story, why you're doing what you're doing and you know what's what's the future look like? Yeah so um you know, I am a human trafficking survivor. It happened 10 years ago. Um, and it took like, you know, it took me 10 years to come forward and, and not, you know, be, be afraid or ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it. Um, but I was uh, sexually trafficked in Naples, Florida. Yeah. So it, it does. It does happen. It does. So to the people out there, and we have uh, Alina's wonderful daughter here with her husband Tommy <laughs> in the background so we have some great background with Isabella Hi, <laughs> she's doing great she's looking at her mother but um so when people say there's no way I mean this is Naples Florida this is southwest Florida we've got a just a this community has no crime no situations that could ever happen like that what do you tell them I tell them that it does happen. Human trafficking does not discriminate. It can happen anywhere. A lot of people think that human trafficking is an international issue, only an international issue, but it's not. It's it's happening domestically. It's happening, you know, statewide and locally, especially here in Collier County. And I mean, I'm proof that it happened because I was a victim of it. Yeah. And you know, my background, I was in law enforcement yep. for 31 years, worked at the Collier County Sheriff's Office. So I can attest to the fact that we do have you know, an element here. We do have human trafficking here. I know it does. The impact to the community, and, and I know you're going to tell your story here a little bit, but what is that? What is the impact of the community? I mean, how, do, how does it affect us? You know, a, a lot of people think that, that human trafficking is, you know, not happening, so it doesn't affect them. But I believe it, you know, it affects everyone and it affects everyone, especially if you're not educated on the subject, because it could be happening right in front of you and if you don't, you know, educate yourself on the subject or, you know, allow yourself to be educated, then nothing's ever going to change. Um, so what I'm hoping is that, you know, my voice and my story changes that. I really do. I hope that my voice and my story changes that stigma um, and people are aware that it's happening locally 
and that you can overcome it. So give us your story. I know it goes way back in time, right? So you, I'm proud of you to come out and talk, and I'm so glad to have you, you know, here on the podcast because I think this, this podcast gives a, a, good, a good community awareness mm-hmm. opportunity for people to get their information out. Go back in time and give us a little bit about what started it, how it started, and why you're different than maybe other people that have been human trafficked. When people think of human trafficking, they think that, you know, there's a stigma to it. They think that the victim either comes from a bad home, um, didn't have a good upbringing, struggles, you know, they struggle with sobriety, um, runaways, etc. The list goes on. But I was literally your girl next door. I was raised in a very conservative Catholic family. Um, I had the perfect childhood growing up in Naples, Um, you know, my parents were regular, we were a middle-class family. I went to school in Naples, graduated from Palmetto in 2008. So I was trafficked 10 years ago. So the first time it happened was February of 2012. Um, so 10 years ago in this month, but what, how it, how, how it took place was my trafficker, he portrayed himself as a boyfriend. So the entire time that this was going on, I just thought we were in a really messed up relationship because it's as if he groomed me, you know, and he did. He groomed me to his perfection. I was so innocent and so naive and he took advantage of that. He took advantage of the fact that I was so gullible and I grew up in a, you know, conservative, you know, household and, you know, overprotective household. So he offered me, you know, those things that I wish I would have experienced. Like I, for example, I wasn't allowed to go to the movie theaters at 16 or, you know, have sleepovers or, or anything like that because my parents were so, you know, overprotective, which is a good thing. But at the same time, they didn't really, you know, discuss things about the real world with us because they were just so overprotective. So my trafficker, who, again, portrayed himself as, uh, you know, as my boyfriend. And in law enforcement world, you, you know, you know, he's a Romeo. That's how he portrays himself. He's a Romeo trafficker. But yeah, I thought I was... How'd you, how'd you meet him? You know, I met him. I went out. I was in college. I was going to FSW, Florida Southwestern. And I went out to go have some drinks with friends. Um, and to go dancing. And that's where I met him. And we had mutual friends. So I thought that, you know, if we had mutual friends and he's a good guy, he's safe. yeah, he's safe that there, there'd be no issues whatsoever. Cause some of my friends knew who, who he was. Um, but he didn't have a good rep. He had a bad rep. He had already been to prison. Um, he had like this, this bad boy vibe persona to him. But again, being so naive and gullible, I thought, that because we had mutual friends, I was safe with him. Right. And he's he's been jammed up. He might be trying to rehabilitate himself, yep. meet you, and the whole yeah. the whole list goes on and on. Right? Oh, yeah. He was like, he was a narcissist. The way he portrayed himself, it was as if he was the perfect guy. And I really thought he was. He portrayed himself like the perfect guy. He was so charismatic and caring and giving and loving. And I was like, wow, I, this, whatever people think of this guy is wrong. Cause this guy's awesome. Um, but yeah, it was all, it was all a front. The, these traffickers know what they're doing. They know who to prey on. And he took advantage of that. So how did it progress? So it progressed really quickly. Um, I would say we started dating immediately. Uh, we moved in within, you know, less than two months 
and he was like perfect. Um, and he was just so nice and everything. And then one day, uh, he wanted me to apply for this modeling ad and I was not interested in modeling. I I worked at the Coastland mall and I had my little part-time job and I was good. But when I refused to apply to that modeling ad, that's when he got violent. That's when he became aggressive and I didn't know how to act and I didn't know how to, you know, handle this situation. So I agreed to go to the modeling ad just to keep them calm and to keep them happy in a sense. And as soon as I agreed to go to the modeling ad, it's like he changed. It was, he was, he was like a chameleon. He changed and he was back to being that charismatic, kind, loving person. Um, that and, you, and you felt, okay, so I went to this modeling or I, I made this appointment for this modeling opportunity. Yep. He's happy now. That's yep. how I can. He, he's happy if I do what I want, what he wants me to do. Absolutely. I thought, you know, and then I felt like I owed him something. I felt like I owed him that gratitude because he was so nice to me, which was completely wrong. It, it was wrong. I didn't owe him anything. Um, but I felt like I did because he was so kind and so loving to me. And he, he also made it a point. I remember he was like, you know, I've been so good to you. And when I ask you to do something, you're going to say no. And that's, that's how it just transpired. It transpired from there. The modeling situation. How did that go from there? So he made sure that I went to the, the modeling interview, which I thought was really sketchy and not normal. Um, but he drove me to the modeling interview to this undisclosed location. And um, I went in to the interview where this guy was to do the interview. But in reality, it wasn't an interview. Um, it was an initiation to be trafficked. And I was um, raped by this guy who portrayed himself as the guy who that was going to do the interview. So that's how I got into the whole trafficking world. Now, when you went into the interview, you sat with this guy and basically he wouldn't let you out of the room or you basically knew you better do something to get out of the room. How, so, did, that, how did that work? So when I went into this room, the guy portrayed himself as like he was going to do his, his interview. So I was trying to calm myself down because I was extremely scared and nervous. Right. But he asked for like my driver's license. And I said, okay, or, you know, this is, this is normal. He's asking for my driver's license. And he asked me questions. Have I ever modeled before? Things like that. So I was like, okay, so we're still good. It's still an interview. And then that's when it transpired. And he asked me, you know, to take off my clothes. And I was like, whoa, this is not no longer an interview. And then it just went downhill from there. Right. Um, and then that's when it became, I know now that that was a trafficking initiation. Um, but then I didn't know how to process it because, you know, we watch all these movies and whatnot. And we always think, you know, like I didn't want to be a rape victim and I didn't want to think I was a rape victim. So I figured that if I didn't fight back and I didn't scream and I complied, then I wouldn't, then it wasn't rape, but it was. Right. But it right. was. Right. Yeah. Because you went on and went there a totally different thing. And it just, absolutely. It, you made it through that interview uncomfortable. It wasn't an interview. You made it through that sexual battery that yep. occurred on you. Yep. And then when you left the room, what did you do? Did you pick up the phone and was he there waiting for you? When I left, he was in the parking lot waiting and I ran to the car and I told him, told him what just took place. And he said to me, he looked at me and he said, I don't know what you're crying about. He's like, this is work related. If it's not work related, let me know now. And that just means you cheated. 
So that's how the whole trafficking, you know, mm. it just started. He was in on it. Was there money exchange at that point? Um, not that I'm not on not your with end. Me. Yeah, not okay. with me. I never. You don't know about what he was getting on ex- the back end, exactly. Okay. But but yeah, even I was trafficked for a total of eight months. Um, and that's what I'm writing a book and that's what my book is about. Yeah. And we're going to talk all about that. So it's going to be very, very interesting. (laughs) But, um, I was trafficked for a total of eight months, you know, never saw any monetary from it. Like I never got anything from it. I had to give it all to my trafficker, any of the money, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a messed up world that that is for sure. And I want to bring light to it because again, it's important to bring light to it because it's a, it's a topic. Human trafficking is a topic that is so hot right now. And everyone wants, it's like all hands on deck, but no one wants to do the hard work and no one wants to listen to the realities of it. It's just like, it's a topic that people want to be a part of, but no one wants, you know, to really be a part of it. To know about the nitty gritty stuff that really goes on and how this has impacted you and other women. And just, yeah, I can just imagine. Absolutely. It's a dark world yeah. and, and people need to realize, like if you want to know and educate yourself on human trafficking, then you have to know it all. And the reality of it, it's not pretty, but if you want to learn about it, you, you have to know the nitty gritty of it. You have to know that bad things do happen. So once that was done, you, you met with your trafficker outside mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to perceive it as boyfriend, mm-hmm. or he did at least, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. What what transpired next, I guess, to, to go, you know, to go through to the, to the next point? I mean, how did, how, you didn't want to call law enforcement because you at that point you didn't feel like it was truly a situation where you should call law enforcement or you kind of wanted to save some embarrassment or how did that So, you know, I never, here's the reason why I never contacted law enforcement. First of all, when I went into the room for the interview, the guy was like 6'4", and he looked like he was part of a biker gang. Like, this guy was scary. And remember how I said at the beginning that he took my driver's license, and I thought it was a legitimate interview because he grabbed my license, my driver's license. Well, when the whole ordeal finished, he said, I now have your information. I know where you live. I know where your parents live, your family lives. So if you tell anyone, I will kill your family. And that's why I never went to law enforcement because I was petrified. I mean, this, I'm telling you, this guy looked like he was like in a Hell's Angels gang. Like he was just so scary. And then me being naive and gullible, the fact that he now had my driver's information, my driver's license information, I was like, this guy's going to really harm my family. And being so close with my family, I was like, there is no way I'm saying anything because I don't want nothing to happen to my family. Right. You had no reason not to believe he, was, he would yeah, technically I mean, do that. Yeah. Well, after, you know, after he did what he did to me, there was no reason not to believe him. You know, now were you, were you were of age at that point. I was 21. Okay, so you're 21. Yeah, I was 21. So, yeah, so that makes it a little bit different, but sexual battery is like, yeah, sexual battery in a yeah. situation like that is crazy. Yeah. Because I think, I think really a lot of people feel like human trafficking is basically bringing people in from another country. Yep. And then when they come into the country, they have to work off the fees through usually sexual acts and things like that. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's like cultivated 
locally too as well. Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah. There's, I mean, there's different aspects to human trafficking. Think of it of like an, as an umbrella. So there's human trafficking, but then there's sexual human trafficking and there's also labor trafficking. Correct. Labor trafficking does, you know, it does happen, especially locally and, and domestically, but there's also sexual human trafficking and, um, it happens a lot more domestically, especially within the United States, to local American girls than it does to, you know, international victims. And at least I'm saying that within, you know, domestically. So it does happen to American girls. It's not just international right. victims. Right. So you guys progress, and I keep mm-hmm. using the word progress because I'm trying to do a timeline yep, through yep, here. Yep. So you ended up doing that, and then you said that you did this for about eight months. Was it frequent, or did did you did he pretty much take you to locations and drop you off and then you come back to like a normal relationship? I mean, when I say normal relationship, like nothing ever happened type of thing. So, so no, from there, it just, it it transpired. It, you know, it, I was forced to work. I was forced, you know, when it comes to human trafficking, what defines it is forced fraud or coercion. And I was definitely forced to do it every single day. Um, he would, again, keep portraying, portraying himself as a boyfriend. Um, so the lies and the manipulation that come with it, especially someone that's with you 24-7, I, I never left his sight. There was one time I tried to leave his sight, and it did not go well at all. Um, but, I mean, he was like my shadow. I could not escape. Um, and I was just forced to do whatever it is he wanted me to do. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it happened like daily for eight months. It, it really did. And it was just like, it was as if it, it was as if I was living this thing that didn't exist because I felt like I was constantly, constantly looking at people from the outside. So if we were like out at McDonald's grabbing a bite to eat, even though he was with me, I would look at other people and I was like, wow, I just want to be normal. I want to get out of this so bad, right. but I didn't know how to. And again, I mean, imagine somebody being your shadow 24 7. I mean, it, it starts taking a mental toll on you. It's emotionally draining. It's emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. So you get to a point where, I mean, you just want it to end, but you don't know how it's going to end and you think you're stuck. Right. Did you at, at any point, like, say, I guess, talk to talk to like somebody close or are you just that afraid not to do that? I mean, as, as you're going through, I'm just trying to put it in perspective here when you're going through and you're like eight months into this and you're doing this every day when does that come to a point where you're like this shit has got to stop oh yeah so there uh, I was really close with my family and he knew that but being the narcissist that he was he would control so he would make sure that I would talk to my family my sisters my mom because till this day I still call my mom to say goodnight, and he knew that. So what he would do is he would make sure that I would talk to my family and he would time it. He would, he would tell me when to call them and he would tell me how long to call them for so that they thought nothing was wrong. So I'm telling you every minute and second of my life for those eight months was absolutely controlled by him. So he controlled my relationship with my family, with my friends. Um, and just like an abuser, when it comes to domestic violence as well, I mean, he just started you know, removing me from, you know, my family and my friends and he just controlled everything. So even if I wanted to, how do I tell someone that, you know, 
what I'm, that I want out from what I'm doing. If he's telling me that what I'm doing is normal. And then he's also telling me, if you tell anyone, they're going to think you're a prostitute. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't want that because I'm not a prostitute. Yeah. And, and kind of like this web. Yeah. It's just like this web and he, he's got you. Damned if you do, damned if yeah, you don't. Right. When did it start turning? I, I know it started turning, turning criminal mm-hmm. with some fraud and yep. some things like that based on your story that you sent me. When did it start doing that? And then when did you start getting jammed up in that situation? You know, I would say towards the end of it. So six months into it, um, whenever I'd tell him that I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do, he would start giving me pills and ecstasy and whatnot. So I would comply. I would be compliant. But then he, like I said, he was a narcissist. He was a manipulator. So one day he was like, you know what? I don't want you to work anymore. And I still, soul gullible. And I was like, oh my God, thank God it's over. Well, there was always something to it. So he was like, I don't want you to work, but I want you to do A, B, and C for me. I have these credit cards and I want you to use them. And if you ask a victim in their moment of survival, right, of their daily survival, would you rather be in a room and wait for an undisclosed amount of men to come through that room and you don't know who's coming in through that room or would you rather just use a credit card at Walmart or, you know, at whatever store? I mean, it just, it's a no-brainer. I'm going yeah, to, yeah. yeah, I'm going to use the credit cards. I'd, I'd rather use the credit cards than be in a room and not know who's coming in through that door. So it was a no-brainer to me. I didn't see it as I was, I knew I was doing something wrong, but it beat the hell out of whatever I went through on that daily basis. Right. So that's when it just led to, you know, just choosing to commit these, you know, fraudulent activities that he would, he would come up with all the, you know, every day he'd be like, okay, I I need you to do A, B and C. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. because the way I processed it in my mind is, okay, so I'm going to do A, B and C and there's no danger to it. Right. Versus the other stuff. Yeah. Versus being in a room and not knowing who's coming in through that door because he controlled everything. So I didn't know who was coming in through that door on a daily basis. I mean, would you go back to that? Would you like sometimes rent a room and then people would come to you? Is that how that worked or would be different scenarios each time? No. So when it comes to that world, there's like in calls and out calls. So it was, for me, it was primarily only in calls. So you would have a place people would come to you or out calls when you'd go to them. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. So that, so the alternative to that was doing, um, credit card frauds, which is definitely, not good. Not good, <laughs> but definitely better than the alternative. That point in time, in my mind, as a survivor, as a as a victim that I was, it was better. It, to me, it was better. It was a no brainer. Yeah. Now, where did you? How did that work? Did he did he steal credit cards and then you just went to make purchases, or do you know anything how that? Happened? You know, I'm just going to assume that that's how it took place. I don't know how he got a hold of the credit cards. All I know is that he had them, and he would tell me to use them, and he would ask me to buy, you know, like dumb stuff with value so he can sell it to like friends or on the streets or, or whatever it right, was. Right. Um, but I don't know. How what was a big item that he would. iPads. Yeah. iPads. Yeah. iPads. Yeah. Cause back you know, 10 that, years ago. Very, very good to get. Yeah. 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 Ten, 10 years ago. That was like a big commotion. Right. Uh, now everyone has an iPad. I mean, my eight month old has an iPad. Yeah, yeah, That's right. ridiculous. <laughs> embarrassing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's good to keep them, keep occupied. Right. No, it's, yeah, so, and then you finally got caught, right? Yes. So when we finally got caught, that was the best day of my life. 
It really was. When and we got caught by <laughs> the Collier County Sheriff's Office. County Sheriff's Office. County Sheriff's Office. I was on patrol. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't catch you, but no, yeah. no, you did it. You did it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, but that's, this. it's kind of amazing that you say that this is like the best day of your life. It was the best day of my life because I knew at that point in time, up to your kids, I'm sure. Oh yes. I, I love my <laughs> I kids. Know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. <laughs> and my wedding day. <laughs> and I was there to wedding day. <laughs> yes, you were. So um, but no, I'll, I'll tell you this. A lot of people, um, when they talk about being incarcerated or getting arrested, especially, you know, Collier County Sheriff's Office, because they are just on point with what they do. Uh, you know, they they have these like res- they have this resentment and things like that. Till this day, I'll tell you, it was the best day of my life, because even though they didn't know it, even though the sheriff's office didn't know it, they were removing me from that problem, which was my trafficker. They were removing him from me. Imagine being with somebody for eight months, nonstop, every second of the day. And then you get arrested. And I remember the the cop that arrested me, he was like, you're going to jail, Missy. And I was like, hell yeah, I am. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm good. (laughs) Take me. Yeah, take me. I was good. And, and, you know, I had no problem. And that's another thing they, you know, they saw me smiling and they were like, oh, you know, just another one that thinks it's a joke. And it wasn't a joke. It was liberating to me. It was liberating. But, but at that point, you didn't tell him oh, gosh, what no. was going on. You no. were just like, okay, whatever I got to no. do. Yeah, you? no. Whatever I needed to do to get the hell away from him, I did. Um, but but they didn't know it. And I never told the sheriff's office. I never told anyone about what happened to me because I just took that to the, to the grave. I was just like, you know, I'll take it as a loss. It, it's done. It's over. And I'm going to what, rebuild my life. What was it? What were the charges and what? was the thing that got you caught like can you run us through that so the the charges were uh it was it was credit card fraud right you know um it it was that it was multiple charges on uh credit card fraud and um what was the second question (laughs) yeah just i guess then you went to jail and you didn't bond out you used to stay there for a period of time obviously yep 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 so that was so my bond had been revoked because we had been arrested like a month and a half prior on okay. the same charges. Okay. Um, and then you did it again, or is it like charge, charge as a added did, committed the same crimes again? So right. they just picked us up on new crimes, same Got charges. It. Got it. Right. Um, so at that point, my bond was revoked. So I did a year, you know, ten, 10 months because you don't do the entire year. But I did, um, you know, my time at the Collier County Jail, and you know. It took a lot to process. I was really upset because I didn't understand why this was happening to me. Um, and I was just, but at the same time, relieved because I was away from him. But yeah. I didn't know who to share that with. So I just did my time. And, and, and that was that, trying to process what just happened within those eight months. Because it was like, you know, it just happened so quickly. But when you're in it, it's just dragging. But yeah, no, I, I did my time and I never told anyone about it. When you went to jail, that experience, what, did it, the whole time, do you feel like this has got to be like a TV? I don't belong here. This is a TV show going on or something. I'll, What's going I'll on? I'll tell my- you what. I looked around because even though I was doing drugs to be compliant, I never became an addict. I wasn't dependent on those drugs. So I, you know, while I was in jail, I would see all these girls come in with, you know, struggling with sobriety and they were coming in and out as if this was, you know, a, a, you know, like an a weekend over, getaway. Yeah, a weekend getaway or an overnight stay. And I'm just like, what the heck? Like, this is, 
this is a lifestyle for these for some of these new people, people when they were coming in. Hey, how's yeah, it going? Hey. yeah, they treated it like a like a how how do you say it? They treated it like it was a college dorm room. Right. They really did. Right. I was in general pop, and and they treated it like a college dorm room, and I was like, we're in jail. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? And and call your county jail and and. It's 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 a safer environment, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's not the best place to be because your your freedoms are taken away. <laughs> uh, probably clean, I'll tell well you, managed compared to most. Yeah, I'll tell you what. When like the girls from the East Coast would come, like if there was any girls from like Broward County um, that would come, they'd be like, "This is a nice jail," <laughs> and I was like, "What's it like over there?" And they're like, "Bad." <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't want to be involved in that. <laughs> So, so yeah, so that, so that process, and then you did your time. Yep. Did my time. And then how did it go from there? So I did my time. And when I got out of jail, I just, I went back home. I promised my parents. I, first of all, I told my parents, I was like, listen, um, you know, I was in a really bad relationship. I did what he wanted me to do. And, you know, it was stupid decisions. And that's what landed me in jail. I never told my parents what really happened. Right. Because uh, I just couldn't bear breaking their hearts, especially my mother's. My uh, my mom is my everything. And this, and my dad was, he passed away in, in 2020, but my dad was my hero. So the, the thought of breaking his heart, I was like, there's no way. Um, so I just told them, you know, I did stupid stuff and that's what landed me in jail. So when I got out of jail, I just went back to being normal me. I, you know, I did, I was on probation. I finished, I paid my dues. I finished probation and I just did my best to reintegrate back into society. I mean, uh, since then, I mean, I haven't gotten a speeding ticket, nothing. I mean, following the rules, like, you know, the, the reason there's a jail is so that when you go to jail, you learn from your bad mistakes right. and you integrate. It's back not into a country society. club. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, I don't think a lot of people learn from their Correct mistakes. behavior. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was scared straight. I was like, there is no way in hell I will ever go back to jail. And I learned from my mistakes, even though I was forced to do bad things. But, but yeah, no, I re, I, I went back, I went back to school, I got a job and I just tried to live my life as normal as can be while staying away from, um, my, my trafficker who has, you know, since deceased. Yeah. So that's really, I, that was my next question. So when you got out of jail, mm-hmm. did you have fear that your trafficker, did your trafficker pass away while you were in jail or? No, af- he, he passed away afterwards. Right. He, he right. passed away afterwards. Um. And I, and I listened to part of that and the information you gave me. Yeah. So when you got out, you must've been freaked out. Like, am I, is he going to come to my house? Is he going to yep. contact me? Yep. Yep. I, I was, I was. And in my book, I go into detail yeah, about it, yeah. uh, you know, the encounters and whatnot, but no, I, I stayed true to what I wanted to do, which was stay away from anyone who was even remotely a bad in, uh, influence. And I did. And I stuck to it. It's good for you. I stuck That's good. to it. That's good. Now we're at a situation, and I and I know a little bit about what you've done and how you've helped out the community and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now we're in a situation when you got a little little time, you were able to go to a, I think it was a seminar, or symposium, or a conference or something at that at that point, and you got enlightened on some new laws and statutes that allow you to maybe clear up your record based yeah. on your status as human trafficking. How did that work? You know, um, I believe that with my story, everything happened for a reason and it was just destined. Um, I came, you know, 
um, into the presence of Linda Oberhaus, the CEO of the Shelter for Abused Women and Children in Naples, Florida. And she was the first person that I ever shared my story with. And when I shared my story with her, I don't know why, but I did. And she brought, brought it to my attention that I was a human trafficking survivor. Um, so that's kind of how that transpired, but she's the one that brought it to my attention. And she's like, you know, you do realize that you qualify for this statue, um, that helps survivor, human trafficking survivors get an expungement because the statute states that if you can prove that you're a survivor of human trafficking and you were, um, what's it called? And you were forced to commit these fraudulent crimes, um, on the alternative of, of being trafficked then you can get an expungement. And she brought it to my attention and we just went through it. And she, she let me know. She's like, it's never been used. The statue has never been used. So I don't know how it'll transpire. I don't know how it'll take place. Um, but we did, we, we, uh, you know, we hired an attorney to help us with it. And then, um, Sergeant Wade Williams at the sheriff's mm -hmm. office, he helped me become classified as a victim. I, t I showed him, you know, I shared my story with him and, you know, he just, he, he was in awe. He really was. He, he's like, wow. And he, my first trafficker, he, he's like, yeah, he was taken down by the attorney general of Florida because mm -hmm. he was, you know, doing this to a lot of girls. Um, yeah. Cause I think what people are going to say is like, okay, you got caught, you got in trouble. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to go back and use this as, you know, human trafficking to get out of it. But what do you, what do you say to those people that maybe doubt, you know, Hey, this was a, something she chose to do. Yeah. At 21 years old. You know what? Again, get educated on human trafficking. Yeah, if there's human cool. trafficking is in order to to for it to be human trafficking, there has to be force, fraud or coercion. I was forced to do those sexual acts. And probably like all three of them. Yeah. I was forced. You know, I was coerced and there was fraud because at the end of the day, I didn't make a dime out of, you know, this fraudulent scheme that was going on. Um, the, the trafficker did. So with my case, all three, and with a lot of cases, all three of those things come into play. And to those people that say, well, she chose, no, I didn't. I mean, I had a shadow 24 seven. I didn't have a, I didn't have a choice. Right. And that's, that's a real thing. You don't have to be tied up to something in order to not have a choice. I mean, this guy just controlled every aspect of my life. So he, he removed my, 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 you know, my right to have a choice right then and there through fear and through intimidation yeah. and coercion. Oh, for do, do you sure. think you were, you were you the only one that, that he had as a, as a victim? Do you know of at that time, maybe in the eight that, months, probably period that I know of, I'm sure there's more, right? There's, maybe there's before. Oh, I'm sure after. before and after, yeah. I just don't know. Was he a lot older than you? He was, okay. he was older than me by, I would say like, like six or seven years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. very interesting. So tell us a little bit about, so you're there and I, and I believe you did some work at the shelter and I think yes. you worked there. Tell us a little bit about that. And then, you know, we've, we've got a, you know, a little bit of time. <laughs> we could go on forever on I this know. topic, but when the, when the book does come out mm -hmm. and it's, I know you're working feverishly on it yes. and we will definitely bring this back because it's, it's a great topic and very interesting. Yeah. Thank so you. tell me a little bit about your work at the shelter and kind of where you're at now and, you know, kind of what the future holds. Yeah, so I've been with the Shelter for Abused Women and Children for four years. I helped co-create the 18-month um, human trafficking residential program at the shelter. So it's a model program for the entire nation. And uh, we offer, it's a residential program for female survivors of sexual human trafficking. So we house them. We offer, it's in, um, out of Immokalee, our uh, second shelter, uh, second location, the Shelly Stayer Shelter. 
Um, but we house victims, especially local victims in uh, Collier County in Southwest Florida. We house these victims in a um, in our program, and we help them overcome their trauma. We offer them housing. We uh, you know we help them reintegrate back into society, um, get a job, go back to school, whatever it is they want to do. But the most important thing is that we help them overcome their trauma of being sexually trafficked. So I helped co-create that program. Um, and we opened in the middle of a pandemic and it's been super successful thus far. And I'm super proud that I was able to be a part of that. But yeah, uh, what the future holds, um, definitely the book is going to come out at some point. Do you have a name for it yet? Uh, I, or maybe you don't want to reveal it. I can't reveal oh, it okay, just okay, yet. Okay. But, but what I want to be different with my book is the fact that I, I really want it to go into detail about what it's like to be trafficked. So people understand that it can happen to anyone. You know, like I said before, you don't have to be tied or chained up to something in order to, you know, in order to do it. Um, but, but yeah, it, it really goes into detail about my experience of being trafficked. I mean, in, into detail. So it's definitely an 18 and over book. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds very interesting. And, and, and when that book comes out, I, I again, you, in any time you have any yeah. carte blanche to come, you know, here to the studio and talk and go over anything. And because I think, I think the information you're you know, you're letting letting the women know, and, you know, anybody who's involved in human trafficking, it's, it's just solid information and, you know, anything we can do to help out, that would be great. Absolutely. I mean, the more we can create education and awareness, which is what I'm hoping to do, then the better, because then people will really have a grasp on, on the topic of human trafficking. And again, it just, it's not just an international issue. It's a domestic issue and it's an issue that's happening here in Collier County. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. No, thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, that's been great. All right, 239 Uncensored, everything Southwest Florida and beyond. And this is episode 105. It's been great. And we always do a little thing in the middle. We, we are out. Thank you so much. This is great. Please make sure to download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production. That was fun.